listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 293, and today we are talking about books being released on January 12th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! Hey, friend! It has been a long time since I've recorded one of these. I was so confused when we were getting started. I was like, where are my notes from last week? Why wasn't there an episode the week before? What is happening? And then I remembered, oh yeah, that happened. I mean, you recorded back in December, right? Like for the January episode? Yeah. Yeah. I was off for a full two weeks of work and I, like no exaggeration, the day that I came back was like, so where do I start? Like, I couldn't remember how to log into things. Yeah. Like, it's weird. Yeah. And this is my first podcast recording. Or no, actually, this is my second already. But who yeah. knows what time is? I um. Let's see. I've been reading a lot of books since the last time I recorded one, of course. Um, hello to all of these lovely people out there who have reached out to say they read The Orchard and loved it, which makes me so happy. Oh, and also I... all of these people who have read Marion Lane now I, came yep. out on the 29th. Oh, so much fun. Loving that book. That's pretty much all I've been doing. Oh, no, that's not true. I've been doing jigsaw puzzles. Oh, I like those a lot. Same. I like to fit them in. Um, but I do have to get, like, ones that only have maybe 500 pieces because I have to do them all at once because I have no place to hide a jigsaw puzzle away from my cats. Oh, true. And they will chew all the pieces up. Um, and then while I do puzzles, I watch Psych, which is, like, keeping with my I like to watch things a decade or so after they came out. Uh, theme. So <laughs> I'm the I, started, same way. I started watching Psych, which is fine. It's kind of the right amount of dumb that I need right now. And it has Timothy Omenson, I think that's how you say his name, who I absolutely love. And now I'm going to have to watch Gallivant again because I've been watching him. And all I keep hearing in my head is, I super believe in you, Tad Cooper. <laughs> I've heard that dragon. line a long time. <laughs> yeah. Aww. Yeah. So. There, you're all caught up in what I'm doing. Besides, you know, quarantining in my <laughs> office indefinitely because of family emergencies. So, That's how so about you? Fun. Did yeah. you have a good holiday, vacation, slash whatever you were doing? Yeah, it was great. Like, I... It's funny, I felt like I was in a reading slump all year. And I think I technically was compared to, like, normal years because I DNF'd a lot of books. But even so, I think I landed at, like, 90, which to have been in a reading slump was, like, not that bad. But whatever it was that was weighing me down, like, completely vanished while I was on break because I think I pounded out, like, 12 books in that time, which for me this year was a big deal, like, to do that in two weeks. Um, so it was great. I did That's a lot great. of that. And yeah, lots of jigsaw puzzling. Like I actually sent my dad a puzzle for like him to do too. And he has the same issue as you where he has to do them all at once. But it's because of my nephew, not cats. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like he, uh, he's a destroyer. Like he sees anything and he's like, he, eh, God. he's like Curious George. <laughs> yeah, he really isn't is. That, <laughs> isn't that how Curious George ends up in the hospital? He eats a puzzle he piece? He eats a puzzle piece. I think so. I think, yeah, I think so too. That's, that will <gasps> absolutely be him if wait, we're wait, not. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh, I just remembered. Weren't you, going, weren't you going to read The Secret History? Uh, oh my gosh, yes. I finally read and? it. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> so, and you know, this is no shade to anybody, but I read The Goldfinch when it came out, and it was just not my cup of tea. Like, I tried so hard to get into it. I got really, like, bogged down by some of the, like, the temporal... I don't know, like, in mm-hmm. one page she was talking about an iPhone, and then the next she was talking about a pager. And, like, I don't know, a lot of that just, like, completely... So I, was, I, I put off The Secret History for a long time thinking, like, this is just not going to be my jam. And I could not put that sucker down. 
I think Yay. you and I did like one small like Instagram DM about it and you called it a beautiful mess. I was like, yeah, that's that's just, that's yeah. kind of the way to describe it. Like uh, it's oh, man. Yeah, I just couldn't stop. Like her writing was so compelling. And I the characters like as soon as you learn more about their motivation, I just haven't read anything like that in probably ever. And that same day actually put The Orchard on hold on, and on Libby. Yay. But that sucker has like, I don't know, it's like 14 weeks <laughs> or something like that. So I'm still waiting for that to come in. But yeah, what a read. Like the, the woman can definitely write a sentence. And I guess I already knew that. But yeah, I was very like, wow, this is an experience. <laughs> like it, yeah. And when it ended, I just felt like, I don't know, I stared at the wall for a minute to like think about it. <laughs> like a lot happened. A lot happened. It's uh, almost time for my 29th. Well, technically my 28th reread. Whew. It's almost time to read it for the 20th time. I read it once every once year. Once a year, right? February. Yeah. How long does it I'm take in you? The camp, uh, I don't know. Same as any other book. I find that yeah. I underline different things each time, which is fun. I like yeah. to get a new copy each time and oh. I underline different things. Um, but I am in Camp Goldfinch. I love the Goldfinch. I think that book is a super hot mess. It is. And I would also read like a like another several thousand pages of it. But <laughs> no, I have not watched the movie. I don't I have not heard very movie, good but, things about yeah. the movie even from people who love the book. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and I also have really strong feelings about the secret history ever being made into a movie. I think like, Donna Tarr herself no has touchy. said that she doesn't want it adapted, right? And I honestly yeah. I can see why. Like there I don't know. There's there's a lot going well, on I there. I mean, they they adapt everything. So, I know. I mean, there's like very few books that they've been unable to do, such as, uh, oh my goodness, the John Kennedy Tool book. The it's the words are all leaving my head. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, we're gonna think of it in a second. We are. We are. I've read this book so many times, and I'm so embarrassed that I can't think of the ah, a Confederacy of Dunces. Dunces. Why there you go. Why couldn't I yes. think of that title this week? I don't know, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, like that's never been made into a movie. They've sold the rights to that book so, so many, many times, times yeah. and it just doesn't happen. Although I don't mean to keep going on and on because we're going to start talking about other books. Soon, yeah, I guess but so. <laughs> I would really like to see a movie about his story and oh, his for mother, sure. you know, and like how after he died, his mother basically, you know, chased after um, was it Walker Percy, I think, to uh, make that into uh, to get the book published. Walker Evans, one of those people yeah. I can't remember. Oh my god, um, yeah. It's such an interesting story. You know, his story, so um I'd watch that. I would like I would like to watch that instead. I agree. So we'll write some letters. Now we're gonna talk about some new books. Now that we've worked it all out, we talked about <laughs> little Tad Cooper and Curious George. <laughs> and, and then landed and Donna Tar and Confederacy <laughs> <and> Dutch. <Dutchess>. Yeah. <laughs> um before we start talking about books, though, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student, but how can she be sure of what she saw? 
Negative space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused. And it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon Publishing. So I got a story with a little Old West debauchery, if you want to get a little messy. So there is a city steeped in the Old West mess. And in the city, a reporter is following every lead to a dangerous place, one that could bring him glory and fame or end his life. New York Times bestselling author Robert Dugoni is back with a gripping new thriller of corruption, vice, and murder set in Depression-era Seattle. It's about a reporter covering a hot murder trial who soon learns nothing is what it seems. The story could make his career if he lives to write about it. You can learn more at Amazon.com slash A Killing on the Hill. So yes, A Killing on the Hill by Robert Dugoni is what you need to pick up if you are into some depression era danger in Seattle. It's a city of big dreams and dark ambitions. And this reporter gets caught up in the muck. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so my first pick of today is What Could Be Saved by Lise O'Halloran Schwartz. This is a great big historical slash present day novel. I am a big fan of novels that go back and forth in time. Uh, And this one is excellent. I'm sorry, I'm not remembering if this is her debut. I don't think it is, but it could be. This is my first book that I've read by this author, though. Um, And it's set in 1972 in Bangkok and in 2019 in D.C., mostly in D.C. And the main character is a woman named Laura Preston. She's in her 50s. She is a painter of some renown. She sells her work uh, and she lives alone in a house. She her marriage has fallen apart and she cares, but she also doesn't really care. Uh, And she's kind of been reclusive for quite a while. And she has an older sister, B, and a mother who is still alive. The family is very, very wealthy. And her mother, Genevieve, lives in the family home, but she has dementia, so she's starting to need care. And her older sister has has been taking care of her, but you know, she wants Laura to kind of chip in more. Uh, but then everything changes when Laura receives an email in 1972. When the Preston family was living in Thailand, their younger brother, Philip, went missing. Nobody knows what happened to him. And there was a big search and they couldn't find him. And the story has been told a million times. And over the years, they get calls from people pretending to be him or calls from people trying to get money from them saying, you know, we know where he is. But she gets this email. For some reason, it rings true to her. And she immediately gets on a plane and flies to Thailand to investigate. And when she gets there, there he is. It's her brother, Philip. Now I'm not telling you anything that you can't read on the back of the jacket. I'm just extrapolating on this information. So it's him like Philip after 40 years, she finds him in Thailand. 
And now we go back and forth between her, you know, trying to get to know him and him wanting to go back to the States. And then 1972, Laura's parents are Robert and Genevieve. Uh, Robert gets a job in Bangkok. Supposedly, he's working as an architect. That's what his family thinks. That's what his wife thinks. That's what everyone around him thinks. But he's actually working for the American Intelligence Agency. You know, this is during the Vietnam War. He's gathering info on spies and doing stuff that he doesn't really agree with, but this is the job that he's taken. It pays them a lot. They have a giant house. And Genevieve is kind of bored. She's like this kept wife where she just shops and throws parties for his work friends. And But like the kids get to do all this fancy stuff. They go to writing lessons. They go to ballet lessons. And it's they're also sort of like ignorant about everyone around them. You know, they just see the Taiwanese people as their workers. They have, you know, their whole staff is is Taiwanese and they don't really give any thought to them other than, you know, like to say like mildly to, you know, extremely racist things and be kind of patronizing. Uh, and so Genevieve is just kind of bored because Robert told her that they would only be there for a year and now they've been there for several years and she starts having an affair with his boss. And shortly after this, Philip goes missing and, you know, it changes everything. It's this really big, involved, heartbreaking novel. You know, like when someone goes missing, you know, how long do you keep looking? You know, how, you know, do they, Robert eventually like doesn't work for this agency anymore. Are they going to stay in Thailand and keep looking for Philip? Should they go home? You know, what is it going to cost them personally? You know, what has happened and what are they going to do? you know, 40 years later when they find him, like what is left of their relationship and, and what can they do together? Um, it was just, it was fantastic. I think I sat and just read it in, you know, one afternoon. And I know that I sit and read books, but like when I say that, I mean like I just focused right on it. Didn't do anything else. Um, it's really good. So it is called What Could Be Saved by Lise O'Halloran Schwartz. That sounds really great. I think I had that one on my list too, but you always beat me because I'm slow. That's okay. <laughs> Let's not look at it that way. <laughs> this time I actually am going in there ahead of time and like marking books for a few months ahead. So let's see if I actually like yeah, do get it. ahead of it this year. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, okay, so I will go on with my first pick, which was really fun, and that is the Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry. So to wizardry, to wizardry by C.M. Wagoner. Just gonna leave that in there. It's fine. So this is a historical fantasy. It's an adult historical fantasy, and set in. Like in Victorian England, and we meet Delaria Wells, who is basically like a petty, petty con with a heart of gold type. She does odd jobs and occasional theft to keep a roof over her he her head and also cover her mom's like living, her mom's rent. Her mother was too consumed with drug addiction to be a good mother to Delaria in her youth, and is e even more consumed now in you know her adulthood. And so she kind of went from considering Delaria's help a favor to now pretty angrily demanding it and blaming Delaria when like things aren't going well for her. So it's kind of a contentious relationship. But Delaria feels you know compelled to help her. But now she's in a pickle because she lost her regular job a couple weeks ago. She was working as a barmaid, but one of the patrons kept getting really touchy-feely with her. He was getting kind of aggressive, and so she used her powers on him because Delaria is actually a fire witch, and she basically set the creepy man's beard on fire and then was herself fired, and now she has no job. Delaria is behind on her rent, doesn't know what she's going to do to, you know, pay it, and her mom is missing, and she has to, like, go find her. She does find her pretty quickly, but 
it becomes you know evident that she needs to really quickly figure out a way to pay her expenses and then her mom's to keep her out of trouble because her mom is now her addiction has taken let's just say like a more dangerous turn and right when she's kind of like uh what am i gonna do she comes across this you know advertisement like a sign that reads like female persons of magical i think it's of martial or magical ability to guard a lady of some importance prior to the celebration of her marriage you know that's that's who they're looking for she's like well i have nothing to lose i really need the money so she kind of fast talks her way into this job and before she know it knows it she's joined a really like misfit team of female bodyguards all who are you know pe- peculiar women and she figures out or she figures i should say that it's going to be like a really cushy gig you know easy money protecting some you know rich woman with an overprotective family from like imaginary you know made up threats but that is very much not the case <laughs> she quickly learns that the threats are very real that her charge is definitely the target of some pretty dangerous assassination attempts using necromancy. So with the help of, I did say we're peculiar, a bird-loving necromancer, a shape-shifting schoolgirl, and this very super grumpy zombie mouse named Buttons. (laughs) I just find that delightful. Uh, She and a fellow bodyguard named Wynne, whom Delaria is having some feelings for, and those feelings might be reciprocated, will have to find a way to best this, you know, elusive adversary and keep their charge, but definitely themselves safe. It was just a lot of fun. The language is really interesting here because she talks, you know, from the perspective, or the book is written from Delaria's perspective. It's told in first person. And Delaria, she even gives it a name. I can't remember what it is, but it's like back alley speak or something. So the way she talks to her mom is this kind of feels like a mixture of Cockney and just the mashing up of words. <laughs> like I, the one that always sticks with me is that she says anti-establishmentary, like instead of anti-establishment. Uh, so it's fun in that way. It does take a little bit of getting used to when it happens. Cause your eyes are like, what am I reading? But it's, it's really fun. And it just kind of kept me guessing. It didn't feel, you know, I, I love fantasy. I read a lot of fantasy, but there's a point at which sometimes it starts to feel a little bit formulaic. And this felt different and kind of fresh, but set in a era that I love to read stuff in, you know, Victorian England. So a lot of fun. Think you'll like it too. That is the lady, sorry, the ruthless lady's guide to wizardry by C.M. Wagoner. If I could marry the words zombie mouse named Buttons, I would. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> I was like, his name like, is Buttons. <laughs> that is adorable. I read a book the other day. The description called it A Can't Go for Leibowitz Meets The Hunt for Red October. And I was like, I want to marry uh, that description. Yeah. <laughs> It was amazing. It was really good. It's a it's a novella by Andy Stewart called We Shall Sing a Song into the Deep, and it's like monks in a submarine. And I really need to look that You'll up. You'll be hearing more about it later. Okay. Um, one of those great tour novellas. But um, before I tell you about my second pick, I realized that I cut my notes off here, and I need to give you some content warnings for what could be saved, because there are a lot of things that need to, to be brought uh, to your attention. Uh, so for that first novel that I mentioned, What Could Be Saved?, I want to give you heads up that there are mentions of child abuse, sexual abuse, exploitation of minors, infidelity, torture, suicide, physical violence, racism, bullying, animal death, and chemical use. Um, I Just did, all of I them. Don't think I could, yeah, I couldn't pass up that. Uh, and now I'm going to tell you about the, uh, it's not the, it's just Yellow Wife by Sadiqa Johnson. This is a novel about uh, a slave. The main character is a slave, so there will be you know, mentions of slavery and lots of horrific things. And then after my description, I'll give you a more 
detailed uh, content warning description. Um, but this is a beautiful and heartbreaking and just gorgeous sweeping historical novel about this one woman who is forced to make the most heartbreaking decisions in order to survive uh, the brutalities of slavery. It's, she is named Phoebe. She At the beginning of the book, she is 17 years old. She lives on a plantation where she was born. Uh, her mother is sort of like the um, nurse of the plantation. She knows a lot about herbs and remedies, natural remedies. She helps a lot of people makes balms, stuff like that. Um, she is the favorite, her mother is the favorite of the plantation master. And so Phoebe herself gets special treatment. Uh, the master's sister was a big fan of Phoebe. She thought she was great and fun and pretty. So she taught her how to read and write. Uh, but her his sister is no longer around. And the master has taken a wife and she is not a fan of Phoebe or her mother. Now, the master has promised Phoebe that when she's 18 years old, he will give her her papers and set her free. And Phoebe is in love with another slave on the plantation named Essex, and they are planning on building a life together uh, when Phoebe turns 18. However, the master's new wife, as I said, is very jealous of Phoebe and her mother. And while the master is away, she sends Phoebe to this place called the Devil's Acre, which is based on an actual slave jail that was in Virginia. And it's where they send slaves to be punished and also to be sold. So Phoebe is sent off. She's she's ripped from her, her friends and her life, the people that she loves on this plantation. And she's sent off to the Devil's Acre. And she's going to be sold. But instead, the jailer the who owns this jail uh, claims her as his own. And at first, he showers her with gifts and affection. He gets her dresses. He, he gets her a room in his house. But the other slaves in the in his home, you know, say you need to watch out for him because he harbors this cruel side and you'll see it. And and she does, you know, and years go by where she is forced to live with this man uh, and make the just horrible decision after decision um, and try to figure out a way to get her freedom. Uh, and but the decisions that she's making could cost her everything. Um, it's. Just the writing is extremely compelling. Obviously, it's a very hard book to read. You know, I don't even think I have to say that. Um, but the writing is extremely compelling. And it's important to have books like this because we need to erase the narratives of the nice slave owners that we have been fed, you know, for 100 years now, 100 something years now. Um, so content warnings for racialized violence and language, uh, physical violence, sexual assault, torture, child death. Um, it's just, I think this is a, a good book for a book group. There's a lot to talk about here. And Phoebe is an amazing, amazing character. So that is called Yellow Wife, and it is by Sadika Johnson. I have added that one a little while ago. The cover is really gorgeous, but it sounds like a hard read, and I needed to kind of brace myself for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That sounds beautiful, though. Okay, so mine is, we're going to take a little bit of a turn <laughs> with my next pick into something a little bit lighter which is You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey, Crazy Stories About Racism by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. So if you don't know who Amber Ruffin is, I love her. She's a very hilarious comedian and performer. She's been a writer for Late Night with Seth Meyers since I think like 2014 or 15 or so. And when she joined the show, she actually became the first black woman to write for a late night talk show in the U.S., 
in the year of our Lord, you know, 2014 or whatever. <laughs> like it, so again, it was unprecedented, but it's kind of, you know, rough that it took that long. But since then, she, again, she continues, I believe, to write for him. She has her own show now, also, I think, a talk show and a really long filmography. She's also really, really fantastic on Drunk History. Like, if you've never watched that show, it's, it's great. Um, just ended, but you can go look up her stuff. She's really funny. So while Amber, now that I've told you about her, you know, lives in New York working as a writer and a comedian, performer, etc., the aforementioned Lacey in the title is actually her sister. And she still lives back in Nebraska where the two, you know, where they grew up, she lives specifically in Omaha. And this book is just a hilarious, if at times just like downright horrifying collection of anecdotes of the kinds of comments, behaviors, prejudices, daily microaggressions, and and worse, and really just BS <laughs> that Lacey is subjected to on a near daily basis in Omaha. Now, racism isn't, you know, funny per se. Like, it's it's awful that this is something that's still happening, especially in a city that, you know, Ruffin makes a point to point out that, like, when she says that she's from Nebraska or, like, tells people that her sister lives in Omaha, they tend to react as though Omaha is some tiny hick town, you know, hick, quote unquote. She's like, Omaha is a big city. Like, it's bigger than New Orleans and Pittsburgh. So, like, stop treating it that way. Um, and so she tells these these stories and it's both of them together. You know, there's a lot of, like, sisterly banter in here, which is, I think, what makes it the funniest or, like, funny at all, really. But where, you know, Lacey is just telling you, like, some of the things that she goes through. And some of it is, I mean, I guess the word predictable is weird. But yeah, like, predictable, like, strangers putting their hands in her hair, you know, touching her hair, casual racist comments, microaggressions. And then there's stuff like her being mistaken for a prostitute or being mistaken for Harriet Tubman. Like what? (laughs) Uh, Getting hit on in, you know, online dating by a dude with a Confederate flag in his profile pic. Amber Ruffin and her sister are black women, as I, I imagine you've, you know, surmised. But again, these are just this list of stories that are told cut from the, the sisterly banter point of view and them dissecting it and opening it. And I think they even say at one point, like, we didn't set out to, like, educate people, but, like, I hope that we have to see that, um, you know, this is stuff that in 2021, like, a lot of us have been screaming for a long time, like is still a very commonplace, you know, event. The, some of the mo- stuff that you read about in here, it shouldn't really surprise you, I guess, but still does with just like how far off the deep end <laughs> some of the things that people feel that they are entitled to say to black women and black people in America. So I think there's a lot to learn here. If you are looking for a read like that, that you will maybe still get a little bit of laughter out and it's told in kind of a lighthearted tone, but on a subject that I think still deserves like, you know, serious contemplation. It's, it's really well written and fun, but again, also a lesson in things that we all need to think about. So that is, you'll never believe what happened to Lacey. Crazy stories about racism by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. Okay. My next pick, I just had to look up the cover because I realized that, I didn't know what it looked like. Um, It is Summer Water by Sarah Moss. Sometimes I read galleys, and usually the cover is included somewhere in the PDF, but not always. And so I was thinking about how beautiful the cover of Ghost Wall, Sarah Moss's last novel, was. And then I just realized, I don't know what the cover of this book looks like. Uh, So I just looked it up, and it's pretty great. This is, like Ghost Wall, a tiny little book. So I'm going to give you a tiny little summary so that I I don't wreck anything. Um, It's just a little haunting 200-page book set during one day on a Scottish loch. It's about 12 vacationers, or told by 12 different vacationers at this loch. And 
it details their inner thoughts and observations as they go about their lives on this rainy day and how, like what they think about marriage, love, being a parent, um, sex, and also what they're seeing around them. Like they're, you know, there's a story told from the point of view of a kayaker, but then later, like, you know, people say like, oh, I see the boy out there kayaking, you know, like all this. And in between these chapters are these alternating tiny chapters like not told ba- like not really told by nature but kind of told by nature like you know there's one like with a falcon and the things that the falcon is seeing around it and you know there's one you know like here's like the weather right now and you just know like as you're reading this that you get this sort of ominous feel and you know it's heading toward tragedy the writing reminded me a lot this time of Fever Dream by uh, Samantha Schweblin, or Sam- excuse me, Samantha Schweblin, and it's just this sort of like, goes along at this like surreal clip, uh, and it's just really beautiful, and it's going to be sad. I don't have any happy books today, apparently, um, but I loved it. It is called Summer Water, all one word, Summer Water, by Sarah Moss. And now... You're going to hear from another sponsor. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay. I have the hiccups. Vanessa, what do you have? <laughs> Not the hiccups. I have a book that I flat out was so lazy to write notes about to tell you all what to do because I just don't know how to do it just as concisely. I'm really going to try, but forgive me if it's not as short as I would like it to be. So 
Okay. So this is the, the House on Vesper Sands by Parrick O'Donnell, which I think is actually pronounced Parrick O'Donnell. London, 1893, when the book opens, it's a dark and snowy night and a seamstress arrives at this house where it becomes clear that she has worked before and was dismissed from for like alleged theft of the item she was supposed to be, you know, embroidering. So she's kind of put through the ringer a little bit, reminded of her history. They're like, kind of like a you're lucky we let you back in here sort of situation. And she's finally left alone to do the job she was brought to do but she's like locked in this room until she can't come out till she's done so you're kind of like bogged down figuring like what is she here to do like what is you know because it becomes pretty clear in those pages it's like something she's she's not truly there to do the thing that they are have hired her to do and in those first few pages we find out that she has stitched a cryptic message into her skin is in all kinds of pain, but is just keeping it, you know, to herself to be able to get in this house. And once she's left alone, she jumps from the window as part of a plan that we don't quite know the details of. So then next we meet Gideon, who is this like increasingly destitute Cambridge student who came to the city because he got this letter from his uncle that was kind of cryptic. Everything's cryptic today. Uh, A warning of impending danger. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go find my uncle. He can't find him when he gets to the city. He's asking about him at like the lodging house where he normally stays. Doesn't seem to be able to locate him. Doesn't have the money to pay for a place himself. So he ends up trying to seek sanctuary in a church. And he has also come to the city really, really, really hoping to run into a woman that he loved from his past name, Angela. And wouldn't you know it that when he goes to take sanctuary in this church, he's horrified to find that this beloved Angela person is barely breathing barely breathing, and collapsed on the floor. And she's trying to tell him something when he's suddenly drugged and blacks out. And when he awakes, he's being dragged out onto his butt by the sexton of the church. Angela's nowhere to be found. He's trying to tell them what happened. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, not well, get out. All of this that I'm telling you, by the way, happens literally in like the first little bitty chapter. So it's not a spoiler. It's also in the copy of... All the, you know, when you look up the book. Next character is Octavia. She's an heiress, but not by birth. So she'll, she'll inherit, but only because she and her brother were adopted by this like newspaper magnate. And it's this connection, you know, her grandfather, her, the guy that adopted her is so much older that he always billed them as his grandchildren. So her grandfather figure has given her opportunities that she would otherwise never have been given as a woman. So she's a journalist, which is great. She's been allowed to become a journalist because of this connection. She rides around on her bike trying to cover and, you know, uncover big stories. But the editor that she works for kind of thwarts her at every corner because he believes that women should only report on, like, society events and, you know, gossipy kind of stuff. And then we have this uh, detective, Inspector Cutter, who is a... Like very sharp and committed detective, but volatile. And he deals with cases of an occult nature. And that Gideon fellow that I mentioned earlier, who, you know, tried to seek sanctuary in the church, the Cambridge student who can't find his uncle, kind of inadvertently becomes his sidekick. And all of these characters' stories combine in this supernatural kind of gothic, I guess, novel. Yeah, mystery novel. Novel. And these all of them are connected by this very twisty case involving missing girls who have all disappeared under mysterious and very similar circumstances. That's kind of all I want to tell you. I've already said a mouthful anyway, but in the beginning, because you know, you're told each of these, like an introduction into each of these characters lives and you're, 
when it jumps from to like one character to the next, you're like, well, what the heck does that have to do with, you know, what I just read before that? But that slowly unravels and, you know, becomes evident as you go on. And I loved it so much. <laughs> it's again, I love anything gothic, I guess. So I was kind of already disposed to like it, but it's very, very twisty and serpentine and just, you know, 1893 London mystery stuff. And the there's like this whole spirited plot line in the back where these kind of um what's the word i'm looking for like spiritualist types are like thought maybe to be behind the disappearance of these oh there's just so much to to love here if you love this sort of thing so i'm gonna stop talking now (laughs) that's the house on vesper sands by paddock o'donnell what one of the things i like about this book is that the quote like the blurb on the jacket is from helen mcdonald who wrote vesper flights Flights, yep so like vesper flights author blurbing the house on vesper sands vesper all over the place also the name of Erin Morgenstern's cat, Vesper. Really? <laughs> yeah. She's adorable. She's the cutest. She's a little Scottish fold whose ears don't actually fold. Scottish fold. So in she's my a face. factory reject. Um, that's, what, that's what I call her because I'm a terrible person. But, like in a loving way. She's adorable. She's the cutest. She has her own Instagram account. I'm pretty sure she has more followers than me. Vesper. That's happening. <laughs> you can find her online. Lady Vesper, I think, is her Instagram Aww, name. That's amazing. Anyway, so for my last pick today, I'm actually going to do a roundup of things that are worth mentioning. Some of these books I will be talking about in the newsletter. If you like to hear about awesome books, which I'm assuming you do since you're here, um, I do the new books newsletter every week as well and include a few picks that you don't hear about on the show. Uh, so you'll hear about a couple of these in the newsletter this week. You can uh, find a link to that newsletter in our show notes. So coming out today as well is Concrete Rose by Angie Thomas, which is a prequel to The Hate You Give. Uh, going back to Garden Heights, and this time Maverick is the main character. There's that old country music, Stories, by Kevin Barry. Kevin Barry is an amazing, amazing author that I feel like more people should read. Everything he does is so cool. Uh, the Revolution According to Raimundo Mata by Gina Apostle. She wrote a novel called Insurrecto that came out a couple of years ago that I absolutely loved. Uh, Small Beer Press, one of my favorite indie presses, has a collection coming from Aliyah Don Johnson called Reconstruction. George Saunders is putting out his first nonfiction collection called A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, in which four Russians give a masterclass on writing, reading, and life. Ta-Nehisi Coates has a YA edition of his memoir, The Beautiful Struggle, out today. There's Tales from the Hinterland by Melissa Albert, which are 12 stories set in the world of Hazelwood. The Dangers of Smoking in Bed, stories by Mariana Enriquez, translated by Megan McDowell. Uh, Ariana Enriquez wrote Things We Lost in the Fire, which remains one of my favorite short story collections that I will push on anyone who is near me. Uh, there's Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, which is a debut novel that was also chosen to be the February pick for Roxanne Gay's book club. Jamie Harrison, who wrote The Widow Nash, which I talked about on the show a couple of years ago. Her new novel is called The Center of Everything, and I think this might have the longest push since the uh, coronavirus began, it was supposed to come out, I think, in May, and it got booted to January. So that is finally out, and it's so, so good. There's a new another debut that everyone is excited about called Hades Argentina by Daniel Liddell, about a young man who flees Argentina in 1976 and then goes back 10 years later. And Across the Green Grass Fields by Shauna McGuire is out today, which is another of the Wayward Children series. So those are some pretty exciting things that 
you might want to know about. And you can also learn about some more in the new books newsletter. And yeah, that's it. I don't know how to like wrap that up because I don't have like a title to tell you. Like I'm not going to read all the titles again, but you can find them in the show notes. Um, so Vanessa, bring it home. I shall. But before I talk about my last book, I would like to say that in the time that Liberty told you about that roundup, I looked up this Instagram account for Lady Vesper. <laughs> and her full name is Lady Vesper Victoria Sparkles Motorboat Morganstern Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just Sounds about delightful and she is adorable and that is the cat that I want to get someday so I'm very excited yeah. <laughs> so it's only, that's only her name because Miss Kitty Fantastico was taken <laughs> oh yeah this is so great I like talking to you it makes me laugh okay uh, you sound like my therapist <laughs> I love it this is why we're friends But um, this last book that I chose to end with is not as much of a happy book, but it's still really fantastic. I'm not all the way done with it yet, but I love what I've read so far. And that is One of the Good Ones by Maika and Maritza Mulit. You may recognize this sister author duo. They're the authors of a book that was that came out, I think, just just last year. I think I'm so messed up on what time is these days, but I'm pretty sure it was it was 2020 called Dear Haiti, Love Elaine. So this is a contemporary YA and we meet or find out, I should say, in the very beginning from like page one about Kezi Smith, who is a black teen or was a black teen social activist, a history buff and a YouTuber with a really popular channel. She's this shining star with a bright future. She's well liked and loved, a great student. But on her 18th birthday, Kezi was killed under shady circumstances while in police custody after attending a social justice rally. So I'm sorry I didn't say this at the top. I will reiterate it again shortly. But yeah, content warnings for discussions of police brutality and racism, racial violence. So the book is told from the perspective of her sister, Happy, spelled H-A-P-P-I. And you know she and her family are understandably reeling and devastated and watching, really, as Kezi becomes yet another face, you know, on posters and t-shirts and her name is a hashtag and her, you know, image is blasted all over, you know, news and social media. And it, you know, she's just sort of, and by she, I mean, happy stuck from the outside or inside, I guess, looking at this all too familiar cycle that we've all come to see, right. With, you know, victims in the fight against police brutality. And she begins to question the idealized way that her sister is being remembered and like talked about yes she was a model student and a model person and she's labeled as you know quote one of the good ones happy herself is you know look doing a little bit of introspection and she she recognizes that she is the temperamental school skipping like drinking partying counterpart to her sister's perfection and in doing so you know think giving space to the fact that the reality is that most victims life choices and past transgressions etc are often brought into question when there's been, or there is, I should say, an attempt to like justify their deaths, which is so gross, but that's nothing new to anybody who's paid attention to anything on the news when we've seen someone, unfortunately, you know, die at the hands of police brutality. And then two days later, you see like, oh, well, they had a warrant out for their arrest for like stealing cigarettes or something, you know, so it's it's hard to read about at times, even more so when from this like heartbreaking lens of a sister who's who's grieving her sister. So Happy's kind of like, well, what now? And you know, what happens when this time the victim is, quote unquote, one of the good ones? Like, does that change it? Does it make it any more or less tragic? And that leads to this examination 
of her family's history and it takes her all the way back to the late 1930s and then that research leads to a present day trek that's inspired by the green book which if you don't know what the green book was the the negro motorist green book was a guide that helped black american travelers know where it was safe to travel to during the jim crow era So she learns, and it's told kind of in flashbacks, but a lot about, you know, sundown towns and what that meant, which is, you know, when it wasn't safe for black people to be in certain towns after dark. So you could literally work in a town, but it was understood that, like, you needed to be out of there by a certain time or you were in danger. I won't give you all the details because you should read them for yourself, but some of the things that you learn in those parts are, shouldn't be, again, horrifying, and yet they are because of the failure of the American education system to, like, talk more about it. And the book, I I found a really great, I think it was a podcast, but I read the transcription, I think on, I want to say it was NPR, I'm not quite sure, but it's an interview with the Mulit sisters. And they talk about how the book was actually inspired by seeing that, well, they went to a mausoleum because their great aunt had passed away and they were just sort of, you know, they were there to like say their final goodbyes and walking around and just kind of looking at the names of some of the other, uh, I don't know what they're, not graves, but the the word is escaping me but just basically looking at some of the other names in this mausoleum and they saw a name that was extremely familiar and that's the name of Trayvon Martin and they had a moment you know of extreme connection like they talk about how he represents like the Miami that they knew like he he went to the same I think school as like one of their younger sisters even though at different times and they just kind of got to thinking about what must it be like for the folks who are experiencing this loss like what's it like for the people left behind when the person they love becomes this sort of you know quote-unquote poster child or person for these tragedies and yet the fact that nothing seems to like be done about it and it just happens like over and over again I have been doing this one on audio. Again, not all the way finished, but if you are an audiobook person, the narrator narrator trio is Bonnie Turpin, Jordan Cobb, and Carolyn Smith. <laughs> so it's like a fantastic set of performers in this really, really heart-wrenching, but ultimately very thought-provoking and, and beautiful story told by these two very talented sisters. I, I love what they write together. So that is one of the good ones by Maika and Maritza Mulit. All right. Those are our new books. Some hard ones, but it's important to read the hard books, you know, if we want to keep going forward. And now, what are you going to read next? So I had written Black Buck, which I really want to read. It's a book I think you talked about, or somebody talked about last episode. It's me! Yeah, I really want to read that one. But I am probably first going to read, because we just talked about it, Marion Lane and the Midnight Murder. (laughs) Because I got it to read during break, but decided to only read Backlist during my break. So maybe that'll be the thing I read now. It's so good! I can't wait. It's so fun! I I want a second one. I want a series. I want a movie. All the things! I want them them to make it into something. If they don't, I'll do it. All I need is like a little bit more space and about 50 more cats. (laughs) I will make my own adaptation of that. Awesome. I love that. Oh, I can't wait. What are you going to read? I am going to read The Secret to Superhuman Strength by Alison Bechtel, Mm. who wrote Fun Home. This is her new graphic memoir, which is about her lifelong love affair with exercise set against a hilarious chronicle of fitness fads in our times. Those are not my words. Those are the words from the blurb. Um, So about the different fitness fads throughout the years, which I think is interesting. I was like, okay, you know, but I'll read it. Uh, So that is what I have. It comes out in May. Sorry to tease everyone. 
Um, but May will be here before you know it. Like, I realized a couple of times during this episode, we said, I think it came out last year, but we were, like, talking about books that came out in 2019, because we are now in 2021. Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> what do I don't... we know? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, hey. I mean, it's so new, right? And yeah. What are you going to do? So... All right, well, this was fun, and I would like to talk more about cats and books, but we have to go. Okay. So thank you today to our sponsors. Thank you every day to our sponsors, I should say. <laughs> um, and thank you to D.R. Baker, who is doing today's sound editing. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to talk about your cats or books or whatever else. You can also find us online. Vanessa and I mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is... Buenos Diaz SD. I am friends and comes alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.